Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport from... The US Open. Catherine Whitaker from Eurosport is alongside me, David Law, from BBC Radio 5 Live, here inside the Player Garden at Flushing Meadows. Catherine Whitaker, we are surrounded by players, by entourages, by camera crews, and everything by is babies. just... Ba- I bet babies. there's so many children now there are, in there. these uh, players' lounges and player garden. The media call it the media garden, and the players call it the player garden. <laughs> I call it... Our garden, our garden for the week. Yeah. There we go. Uh, and uh, well, we are here to talk to you ahead of the year's fourth and final Grand Slam tournament. We are going to be daily, every single day, producing tennis podcasts. We're saying that now. We're going to be daily every single day. Are yeah, we? we are. If you, you know, might even have one every day. <laughs> David Law there, uh, but yeah, it's um, it, it's it's bubbling up nicely in many ways, and yet at the same time. We have just had a 24 hours in which the, the focus of player injuries has come into view particularly strongly because Andy Murray is out and uh, before he's even hit a ball. Yeah, if they weren't already in view, they're very firmly in view now. I mean, I, I, as I was taking off uh, on my flight on Thursday, I got the news that Milos Raonic uh, had pulled out. And uh, of course, yesterday, I mean, genuinely, with no warning at all, I don't know anybody in the press conference room yesterday at 3 p.m. that knew that that announcement was coming from Andy Murray. All of I, I was out there with Eurosport watching his practice earlier on in the day, as were lots of lots of the journals. Obviously, Limp Watch is, is a is a big feature of following Andy Murray uh, or has been for the last few months. And his limp seemed so so much much better. It was every now and then detectable, but but he. What was notable was that he wasn't pushing himself to the limits at all. He was practicing with Luca Puy and they played a practice set. And uh, yeah, he wasn't doing the grimacing, wasn't clutching at his hip or anything, but he definitely wasn't going full throttle. And the other thing that was, was notable was that at the French Open, when things weren't going well and he wasn't feeling physically perfect and confidence was low, he was, well, I reported on it in, in the podcast, in our preview French Open podcast, he was all over the place mentally, getting frustrated and angry at himself. Yesterday, he just looked flat and a bit dejected and a bit resigned and withdrawn, which 
one way or another you're just not used to seeing from Andy Murray for better or for worse you usually get something from him and t- even tr- on the practice court and there was very little uh, yesterday and but I but even having said that I did not see what happened at 3 p.m. coming we were all stood out here waiting for him to yeah. to come and do his TV interview with us he was supposed to come and do TV first and then we just heard a whisper that he was going into the press conference room first I just thought oh, I'll pop in just catch a flavour of his press conference before our interview and before we knew it there he was choking back the tears I mean he really was a forlorn figure yeah, um, let's, let's hear from him shall we let's hear that press conference briefly here on the tennis podcast this is actually why I didn't <laughs> didn't want to come in here uh, yeah obviously had the issue with the hip over What's well, actually been since uh, since my match with Stan in Paris? Um, did pretty much everything that I could to to get myself ready here. Um, took you know number of weeks off but after Wimbledon. You know I obviously spoke to a lot of hip specialists. Um, tried obviously resting, rehabbing um, to to try and get myself ready here and you know was was actually pressing okay the last few days but it's uh, it's too sore for me to 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 win the tournament and ultimately that's what what I was here to to try and do so unfortunately uh, I won't be playing here this year. Andy, I know you've been uh, passing over the details about the injury but can you tell us was the medical advice that you sought that didn't need an operation and that um, you wouldn't be hurting yourself by continuing to try to play? Um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't have been hurting myself more by, by trying to play. It was more a question of whether you know it would settle down um, in time and obviously you know I kind of ran out of you know ran out, ran out of time maybe if I'd been able to take a little bit more time off. Um, you know, I've never never had to, to take any time off because of my hip um, before. So, you know, we're hoping that by taking a few weeks off and resting and rehabbing and really reducing the, the load that I was putting through it, that you know, I would be um, I'd be okay by the time the US Open came around. But unfortunately, that's not not been the case. And. You know, obviously, spoke to a number of um, number of specialists about it to, to get the, the best advice possible. Obviously, you, when you speak to a lot, there's different uh, different views and opinions on what the, the best thing to do is moving forward, and that's a, a decision that I'll, I'll need to take now. Having seen how um, you know Rod has come back after a long break, and seeing some of your contemporaries also make that decision to in, the, in their best long-term interest, does that give you hope that you can do similar and come back? And be as good as you were before. Yeah, I mean, if if I get myself fit and healthy, there's no reason why I can't. I mean, I've been practicing here and you know, competitive in practice when I'm not moving close to, you know, to, to where I to, to how I can when when I'm when I'm healthy. So, you know, obviously, there's guys have had a lot. There's been a lot of players with injuries this year. Obviously, Roger and Rafa last year. Um, had a few problems, um, and look, I, I want to be back on court as soon as I can. If it means that you know I can play before the end of the year, then you know that's what I would love to do. I miss uh, I miss competing, so I'll try. Um, you know, I'll try to, to get myself back on court as soon as I can. But you know, I obviously, um, 
you know, need to, to make the, the correct decision and really think it, think it through over these next couple of days with my team and then, um, you know, make, make that decision. Now, you mentioned, Catherine, that he was choking about the tears and you heard just at the start, under his breath there, basically saying, that's, that's why I didn't want to come into this, this press conference because I didn't really want to show that I feel emotional And he didn't it. have to. He didn't have to. Quite often you do... Well, I mean, you don't get player withdrawals right on the eve of the tournament that often, but they don't always give a press conference and I think it was good of him to do that so that the likes of us have something to play out. BBC Radio, we at Eurosport got a feed at the press conference. I mean... I think that was good of him. He's received some criticism for the timing of his withdrawal because for all sorts of complicated reasons, had he withdrawn the day before prior to the draw being made, the seeds would have been reshuffled and Federer and Nadal would have been the top two seeds that have been in opposite sides of the draw and they could have met in the final. I find this criticism ridiculous. I find it utterly ridiculous and unfair to Andy Murray. There are some suggestions that... He, it was a calculated move, timing-wise, from him in order to <laughs> to protect nonsense. his ranking. I utter mean, nonsense. utter nonsense. I mean, he was here. He was wanting to leave it until the absolute last minute to to have to make the worst possible decision for him. Yeah, it's uh, not his problem, frankly. Yeah, uh, it, in all honesty, he is here to try to give himself the best chance of playing in this tournament and winning this tournament well well, no only the latter part of that because crucially and very honestly what he said in that press conference was uh, it's not that I can't play it's not that you know yeah it's sore but I could play I mean the, the, the feeling I got and certainly from watching him in practice was he probably could have won a few rounds at least a round or two because it's not that dissimilar to the French situation you described or Wimbledon, and Wimbledon yeah. yeah but he said I know that I can't win the tournament and that's why I'm withdrawing and I think look I'm not suggesting that this was the main motivation for the the timing of Murray's decision but there was a lot of spotlight at Wimbledon on players um, entering the draw anyway despite knowing that they're injured and I think there there is some honour in in him doing that and in knowing that he can't win the tournament at some stage injury would would intervene and he would have to go no further um so it's better to to count himself out and offer his place up to um to one very lucky person lucas latchko i think is the very lucky person yeah lucky loser lucas latchko and look i'm not, i'm not saying hero andy murray had lucas latchko in mind uh, when he made that decision i'm just saying like for all the criticism he's getting for the timing you could equally look at it uh from that perspective and frankly I just don't think either of those things I just I just think he was making the right decision for himself and not not with rankings in mind or anything I mean I, I yeah I find the criticism bizarre frankly and and I know this is the only Grand Slam that hasn't had a match between Federer and Nadal and I get that I get how desperate they are to have that match but they still could have that match in the semi-final and that'd yeah. be great. And if they do meet in the semi-final, the number one ranking will be on the line. Yeah, look, it's just not Andy Murray's job to worry about what happens to the, the tournament seedings, etc. It's, it's just not. Anyway, um, he, he said in that press conference that he will make his mind up in the next day or so about what he does for the rest of the year. My feeling is that's it. That's yeah, mine too. That was that was definitely the feeling I got when that question was asked. I expected him to bat that away and say, "Look, I haven't thought about it. I'm not thinking about it. All I know is I can't play this tournament, and I'm going to go home." Um, and actually, what he said, well, he didn't say, "Look, yeah, I'm taking the rest of the year off." He sort of nodded and he said, "Yeah, I'm going to think about that when I get home." Yeah, and and um, that that looked 
there's just uh, yeah there's there's not enough in it for him unless he can be absolutely sure that that extra say three weeks off and then play the indoor season and he'll be fine unless he can do that confidently i don't see the point frankly not not that, that those aren't big tournaments and there aren't loads of points and all the rest of it but you know his concentration has to be on coming back out the same as all the other players who've called it a day for the rest of the year yeah, now he'll have plenty of company <laughs> but but he needs to be like them fully fit when can, week one starts can you imagine potentially the Australian Open next year and what the seedings are going to look like yeah. with you know Murray and Djokovic and, and Vavrinka outside the world's top ten it's going to be awesome I mean fr- frankly even if Murray doesn't take the whole of the rest of the season off he's going to be outside the world's top 10 I mean yeah it's going to be a bonkers start to next season um, but yeah I, I agree with you I think that is very much the most likely scenario and I, and the, the the room full of journalists there was a very grim atmosphere obviously it wasn't exclusively British journalists in there but the the, the British press corps were the ones most eagerly uh, anticipating what was what was to, to happen and be announced and there was a real grim feeling in there a real grim glimpse into the post Andy Murray world for them you know I was on a I was on the bus home yesterday with a freelance British journalist who um, does uh, uh, files a lot of copy for Scottish newspapers and and that's it that's it for her you know for the for the tournament yes she'll be able to do bits and bobs for other papers but basically Scottish interest Cameron Norrie aside and Jamie Murray aside and well, yeah, but, you but know, let's be honest grand I mean he probably does deserve a, a bit more attention but let's be honest yeah. you know you're not going to get won't. two weeks worth of, of good paying work as a journalist out of, out of Jamie Murray no. you know winning winning however well he does in, in the doubles. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting atmosphere. You know, as I, I, I turned around and had a quick chat with uh, Russell Fuller, your colleague from uh, from Five Live, and asked whether he had any, any inkling that the announcement was coming, and he didn't. And then I saw standing just behind him the BBC Scotland reporter who had landed, I think, at about 10pm the night before, just packing away his camera. <laughs> and it was the sorriest, most poignant sight and he is uh, his name's uh, Keridine he's on Twitter and actually he's handling it uh, <laughs> with a lot of humour on Twitter because lots of people have been tweeting him <laughs> saying you're on the flight home mate uh, and let's just say he's laying very strong claim to the uh, half Scottish is he Cameron Norrie? Let's just say yes <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of Keridine uh, but yeah no it's uh, it, you're right I mean and actually it's a glimpse when you look at all the players that are not here and, and to put it into perspective the top five players in the world last year, at the end of last year, are not here. Djokovic, Murray, Vavrinka, Nishikori, Raonic, not here. And, and that, that does hit you quite hard. And, and the other big talking point that comes out of that, inevitably, and this does raise its head from time to time, is player injuries generally, the, the toil on the players... Is it something to do with the circuit? Is it something to do with the length of matches? Is it the technology of the rackets, the balls, etc., etc.? Why is this happening now? Is it just coincidence? Simon Briggs, uh, colleague, colleague from The Telegraph, who will be with us uh, from time to time over the course of the next couple of weeks, has written a, an extensive piece about this, spoken to a lot of people within tennis. He's looked at all the facts and figures of player withdrawals and, and spoken to medical people to try to get to the bottom of whether there is any clear 
shift over the the course of time and whether there's cause for concern and whether something ultimately needs to be done and the fact is that i think that there is it's still difficult to prove either way at this stage whether there's there's a direct causal element to it because you're also dealing with all the players i've just listed there three of them djokovic vavrinka murray they're all 30 plus these guys are all going on a lot longer than they used to go on so you're dealing with older bodies here yeah look i agree causality is difficult you, you can produce the data but that doesn't necessarily you, you can't therefore draw draw the conclusion that a has led to b just because you've got a and b you don't know that a has led to b so it's, it's very difficult to prove through data but tennis has changed tennis has changed all of the longest ever matches have been in the last five to ten years mostly in the last five years you know we had a six hour australian open final after which i saw Rafael Nadal's feet drenched in blood. Tennis has changed. It is more punishing physically. The brand of tennis that in particular Murray and Djokovic play is more physically punishing than any tennis that any top tennis player has ever played in the past. More tennis is played on hard courts than ever before. I think that's a factor as well. But I... Without question, tennis has changed and it is more punishing physically and the tour hasn't adapted with it. The, 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 the length of the season, the length of matches, I am, I'm more keen to protect, protect the length of matches than I am the length of the tour because I, I fully believe in five sets and it, that being the absolute pinnacle of the sport. And, and I love how physically testing the sport is. I love that it is the ultimate physical and technical test I say this a lot on the podcast, but I believe that's what makes tennis the most difficult and the best sport, that it combines the absolute extremes of both physicality and technical prowess. You know, you look at the Tour de France and and physically that's probably the most awful, gruelling thing imaginable. You know, that's why they're all doping, because it's basically, or, or were all doping, because it's basically not physically possible for a human body to put itself through that stuff. And then you look at, I don't know, what, what, figure skating is the example I always use for sort of te- technically, that's the most difficult sport I've ever tried. But tennis combines those two elements, and I love that, and I don't want it to lose one of them, but something has to give, I believe. Yeah, but surely the, the ATP and the WTA, certainly the ATP, would say, well, hold on these players are going on longer than they ever have. So if there's such a problem, how come they aren't retiring well, at 25? Is, no, and he well, plays a very... Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, Stan Wawrinka are all in their 30s. There are more 30-year-old-plus okay, well, players all, than there ever was yeah, 20 but you years just, ago. Dis, you just described three people that are having to sit on the sidelines. Yeah, but in their mid-30s, those players would have Not retired mid-30s. by now. Well, OK, early uh, 30s. Look, Pete well, Sampras, thir- Stefan Edberg, they, all, they would have all retired by now. Boris no, Becker, no, they, they didn't... Sampras didn't retire at 30. He did. He retired at 30. Well, number one, it is not out of the question that we don't see one or two of those players again. I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's out of the question that that they're just unable to, to, to come back and compete at the level that they want to compete. So w- let's not take it for granted that that won't be a situation that we're looking at and debating in the next few months. Um, and... I think to some extent the, it, 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 the, the physicality of the sport is compensated by advancements in training and in technology and that sort of thing. But I, I mean, 
Roger Federer is a, a freak. <laughs> I mean, he's a freak. They are not going to be competing for Grand Slams at, at 36. They, they might compete more into their 30s, but... Andy Murray the, the, the and field, Novak Djokovic, because of the tennis that they play, they're not going to be doing it Over the last two years, though, if you look at the breakdown of the US Open draw of the last two years, there are more than double the number of 30-plus players than there used to be. Yeah. So, I mean, actually, Pete Sampras, I think, was 31, just turned but 31. But I also think players are maturing later. So, you know, you know, Boris Becker was winning slams at 17. You know, he was at that top That's level yep. at 17. You know, Murray didn't win his first slam until he was 25. And I know that he was physically toiling in the same way before he won the slams but it, it's the mental toil as well and I do, I do think that's a factor um, and okay you've got the likes of Zverev and Shapovalov coming through younger now but tennis has become because of how physical it is teenagers are unable to do it they're just not physical enough the strength required is not possible in a teenage body anymore so I, I, I don't think that necessarily counters Certainly, and, and actually, see. in the women's game, there's, there's fewer younger players breaking on the scene as teenagers than ever before. Compared to, to you know, certainly when I first came and started working in tennis. Um, well, it's an interesting one. I, I suspect it will be looked into quite significantly by the authorities. I think they will have to answer a, a lot of questions over the next. But then, couple you, of but days. then you have the issue of the fact you say the authorities. That's a problem, isn't it? Authorities plural. Everybody has compete, completely competing interests, and there's no unity. Yeah, well, we have that is three true. governing bodies in the sport mm. yeah it is difficult and how but often do they all get in a room together and go guys let's sort this out I'm not sure that ever happens yeah well it's uh, it's definitely in under the microscope inevitably right at the moment well where Catherine and I are sitting right now the day before the US Open gets underway in the player garden many of those players that Catherine's just been describing going deep into the fifth set of matches are, are milling around right now. Shall I give a little round-up of who's Go in on. our midst? Uh, well, Julia Gerges is over there speaking to Matthias, my colleague from German Eurosport. Uh, who She's might... been in great form recently. She has been in great form, yeah. Finalist uh, in Washington, beaten by Makarova. Joe Wilfred Songer is uh, over there in the corner just uh, polishing off a banana. Is that a banana? Uh, wearing uh, the US Open's Adidas kit, which I particularly like. Do you? I do, yeah. It's really retro and sort of baseball-y. Oh. I don't usually comment on kit, but I really do like it. Uh, who else we've got? Gilles Muller was over here a moment ago, but I think he might have gone... Is that Fernando Gonzalez over my left shoulder, David? No. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, uh, he looks a bit different these days. So, no, it's not. Oh, you can see why I thought that. I, I, I'm sure they're related. He looks very similar. <laughs> There's, okay, try, I, I will try and take a picture for social media purposes just to <laughs> prove that the man I'm referring to does look an awful lot like Paparazzi Fernando Gonzalez. From um, Renee Stubbs of the Tennis Channel is over there. There are others as well over in the distance, but uh, but I can't I can't quite give a summary of that. I was uh, standing. Um, outside like paparazzi with cameraman uh, and producer this morning getting arrival shots of all the players so I can tell you who's here and who's not Roger Federer not scheduled to practice today uh-huh. I mean he might be practicing off site but uh, I watched his practice yesterday he looked, I mean as you know David we don't <laughs> we don't believe in reading too much into practice because they're all amazing yeah I mean yeah. Yeah. Is just Roger Federer in. plays plays good tennis shocker yeah <laughs> yeah but his physical 
fitness is is an interesting one, isn't it? Particularly given all these players that we've just talked about that are not going to be able to play. And he had that big question mark as Dominika Sibulkova walks out with a lunch, per, uh, precariously balancing on a tray. Um, Roger Federer had that twinge in his back against Alexander Zverev in the uh, the Montreal final and looked in a bad way to me actually after that he didn't play Cincinnati hopefully for his sake it'll just loosen up and he'll be able to he'll be able to crack on but I don't think it is the the inevitability that he will just be physically fine for these two weeks no nor do I and and look I'm reluctant to to tell you too much about his practice yesterday because I thought Andy Murray was all right after his practice and uh yeah, we know how that turned out. But it, it, I would say he he wasn't going full pelt either. He looked absolutely fine, wasn't clutching at his back. But I, I don't feel like I've seen it tested. You know, I think I, we're going to have eyes on that Francis Tiafoe match round one because uh, that could be tested. Yeah, that's a Monday night, uh, Tuesday Tuesday night uh, match, isn't it? Well, Tuesday the order night. of plays not out yet. But if that's not Tuesday's night match, then I think it is. I've the, already the world seen it. Has turned on its axis. Yeah, that axis, already yeah. has come out. Has it? It's Tuesday They've night. They've already released the Tuesday yeah, schedule. Second match on, on night Sunday. session. Yeah. What's you. the first match on? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> there we <laughs> Great. are. All but, the news here on the tennis podcast. <laughs> I got the one bit right, didn't I? <laughs> uh, hopefully. Um, um, and Monday's night session matches David Maria well, one in particular who we've just seen walking past and having a little chat with her entourage against Simona Hallett yeah bet there was an intake of breath when that one came out uh, it, could, it could take a bit of pressure off for Hallett I don't know I think six she's losing and that six I think 6-0 and and you, you think Hallett's I losing I think Hallett's losing that yeah really? I do so, unless Maria Sharapova's arm is still but she was walloping it in practice yesterday yeah if but she hasn't played sore, a match in weeks but Halep is a not exactly a mental fortress at the moment. Do you, you, you think Halep's I, I winning totally it? I totally think Halep will win. Do you? Yeah, absolutely right. Well, I mean, this is not scientific, but of the opinion that I've canvassed, you are in the minor- minority, very yeah, but, much I so. Mean, I'm the one that matters. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, I just think she only basically needs to win a match or two to be guaranteed the number one spot. Can you imagine? Mm. And then she it's, gets Sharapova. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rough old draw, isn't it? Um, Can I tell you a, a fun little thing that I learned this morning? Go on. So standing outside the players' entrance, which is probably only about 20 metres from where we are now, which is where all the cars pull up and the players get out and have to go through a very thorough bag search at security. Um, we're waiting there. We've, we've, we've got lots and lots of arrivals. We've had Rafa, we've had Sharapova, we've had Dominic Team, but uh, we really needed to get a shot of Roger Federer arriving. And I went over to speak to the security guys to see if they could give us any update on when they were arriving. They said, no, no, we've got no idea. Really sorry, can't help you. Endlessly nice and helpful the way they all are here at uh, the US Open. But he did say, little tip for you, Roger Federer every year, so the cars on their windscreens or windshields, as they say here, they have numbers on and they go up to about 200. Roger Federer is always in car number one and has been for years. I wonder how Rafael Nadal feels about that. He's the world number one player. And Roger Federer, every year, never gets any car other than car number one. Tidbit from Catherine Whitaker there. Talking of world number ones, I think that's Karolina Pliskova, unless I've got the wrong sister. <laughs> <laughs> Which we is need highly to possible. Just ask her to show us her tattoos. Oi, bring your accreditation That's the only way over. I can tell. Or a badge is what I want to see. Sharpish. There's uh, Sebastian it's, Grosjean. It's definitely Carolina because... 
Caroline is hanging out with David Cotiza, who oh. is her coach. Unless well, she's been detective law. poached by, I don't know, who knows. But yeah, I think it's a Caroline Pliskova. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. What are your thoughts about this draw? Now we've got a few minutes left, but what, the way it's obviously been rejigged on the men's side. Um, we, we, I don't know whether you've made your picks yet. We, if you, well, I made I made picks which will now have to be strongly revised. My, my, start with the women's draw because I, I you know, I, <laughs> I think this has got to be the most ridiculous way to do things because uh, I worked it out on based on who I think is going to beat who if if they get to certain stages of the tournament. Yeah, but now, how you have to do it that way, no, don't you? The problem is that I, I I've got Agnieszka Radvanska <laughs> in the final, right? And I I've got her in the final on the basis that she always beats Karolina Pliskova, who she is scheduled to meet in the quarterfinals, and I've also got her beating Madison Keys in the semi-final because I just think she'll be able to handle that I mean there's no guarantee that any of these people are going to play against each other so what am I doing yeah I mean I feel pretty confident that Agnieszka Radvanska is not going to reach the final here oh who have you got then who have I got I have got Pliskova and Muguruza Muguruza aren't they in the same half of the draw though no I've definitely got I've got Muguruza winning it so have you well, I think I've got Sharapova in maybe Sharapova. No, I don't know. What are you talking about? She hasn't played for months. Well, well Fanska hasn't won for months. I think she's been playing. <laughs> anyway, I think she's playing I, and losing worse than not playing. She, I don't she know. got to the final of one the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Great analysis. 
news and analysis. What about Johanna Conte? How do you think she's? I've do? got her losing to Sharapova. I think this, this, is Google, abs- this is not committed to 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 writing yet. I mean, I've you know, I, I I've got, I've got lot, her doing. I think semi final. Got a lot of time for your opinions and your analysis, but your predictions are laughable. Sharapova in the final Whose is a ridiculous. Opinions for the women's tournament this year are not laughable. Mine. <laughs> I mean, I love part. it. I love how it's fantastically exciting. It is actually. But it's almost a moot point because, it, yeah, it renders our we are made to look foolish. Uh, so, foolish, what yeah. about the men's side? Who've you got winning that? I haven't done it yet. I think I've got a Federer Zverev final. Yeah, I think most people have. I've got that too, and, and even more so actually. I'd got that before Murray pulled out. I mean, even more so now because Zverev is in the half of the draw where not so many other people are because Murray's gone now, yeah. Chilich is in that half of the draw, but we I don't know Chilich about his fitness. I think Chilich is a dark horse, fitness aside, yeah, but I mean, which you could, probably, you could probably put the words fitness aside next to uh, next to most players, but I, I do think Chilich is sorely underrated, um, particularly to, here and on hard card courts. But yeah, Zverev, um, yeah, most people have Zverev reaching the final, which... Yeah. Given how untested he is under the it's Grand big, Slam call, pressure and under the best of five pressure, is a big call, but it's a call I've made. So mm. um, I have, I think, got Federer and Nadal meeting in that semi final. I think I've got Federer winning it. But, you know, again, it's all pretty ridiculous, isn't <laughs> she it? She can change her mind any second now because we've still got time to make our final Zverev predictions. in yeah. press yesterday. Yeah. We probably have to talk about it, don't we? Yeah, go on. Well, I just don't think he's doing himself any favours. I do believe all these people that say he's like I don't know him I've been in a lot of his press conferences I, I don't know him I've not I don't, if I interview I think I might have interviewed him once but uh, I do trust all these people that say look he's from a really good family his parents are great people they're very grounded his brother's really nice I've interviewed him a couple of times and a good influence on him and and he will turn out all right he will come good but just at the moment Alex Verov needs a guiding media hand in the right direction wherever that comes from and I'm not sure it's coming at all at the moment because he's in his media conferences at risk of um, getting a reputation I think is a bit of a Give me a polite words, David, for what I'm trying to say. He's getting a little bit too big for his boots, you might say. Uh, and just to give you an idea of what he's been saying, is he, he, and I've, I've heard this a lot over the years from players, I mean, it is a, a common uh, player gripe that they keep having to answer the same question over and over again. Well, the truth is, that's just what you have to do. It's, it's like, what you have to do, and you're well compensated for it. It is part of the job. Yeah, it is. If and you're taking all the endorsements, the endorsements come largely from you know your profile and and that comes from the media if you don't if you don't get that and understand it and you know Roger Federer has been answering the same questions every day for the, the last nearly two decades of his life so if Roger Federer can do it graciously I think and, and look I know he's young and he and, will and, imp- he will improve I know that say, I but he will only improve if he gets the the guiding hands in the right direction and I just worry that at the moment, it's getting worse and not not better. So I hope those guiding hands come. That Indeed. sounds creepy, doesn't it? Yeah, but I think he he, he does need to just sort of yeah realise uh, as those players have to learn when yeah, they're, when they're that age because they are, they are young. Get a bit of perspective. But yeah, Alexander Zverev very much the the favourite. I think in many people's eyes to get all the way here, certainly to the final in that bottom half of the draw. Well, who have you got winning it on the men on the I, women's? I, 
on the women's side, I've got Muguruza, Muguruza. Well, and the men's and Federer, yeah. Federer and Muguruza. which I I don't feel hugely strongly about because of his physical situation as well but anyway he he's there in my bracket as the locals say around here and we are going to wrap up this edition of the tennis podcast ahead of the u.s open we have a brand new website www.tennispodcast.net we've got blogs on there student Matt and myself have both, both been writing away and producing these wonderful stories i will be writing away yeah i've just just haven't failed done to it. do so so far. Yeah. Well, I have. I've, um, written, I've written loads. Yeah, I haven't decided what to blog about. I mean, I give all my opinions about everything on here and on Eurosport. What else is there left to say? Well, I've, I've written you, about it, how the US Open changed my life. Very dramatic. But I have. And that's, that's what happened. Dramatic. Well, I can't compete with that. <laughs> <laughs> Go and read it, is all I can say. Tennispodcast.net. Uh, Catherine Whitaker will be with you every day on Eurosport. What time does your coverage start on Monday? Uh, 3.30 UK time, half an hour's build-up, uh, and then uh, matches start at 4pm UK time. I think we're covering Kyle Edmund against Robin Harser, first up on Eurosport 1, followed by Joe Conter's first-round match against Alexandra Krunic. Tiny little Alexandra Krunic. Doesn't look big enough to be a tennis player or, or an adult um, but she she's reached the fourth round here a few years ago so knows what she's doing uh, and then of course we'll have Halep Sharapova um, night session from midnight and if you don't have Eurosport um, you can get the Eurosport player is it yeah, there's a deal on nine ninety nine. Nine ninety nine until the end of September, so you can get that for a Good full deal. month. Get the whole US Open in in there. You can listen to myself and my colleagues Russell Fuller and Gigi Salmon on BBC Radio Five Live Sports Extra and Five Live over the course of the fortnight. We'll be bringing you as much as we can. We will have daily tennis podcasts from uh, Flushing Meadows throughout the fortnight, and we look forward to bringing them to you. We'll speak to you soon. 